All right. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, Adam Roberts, and I'm here, uh, as always, with my co-quarantine buddy, partner, husband, Craig Johnson. Hello. And we are on day seven of our self- I've lost count. Everyone started at a different point, it feels like. Right. But, I mean, I, I hope all of you are healthy and doing okay and that you have enough food and toilet paper. I mean- this, I spoke to my 98-year-old Uncle Jerry yesterday, and he's, I asked him, I was like, have you ever gone through anything like this before? And he said, honestly, this reminds him of World War II. He, do, he doesn't remember anything like this since World War II. So He's doing great, by the way. He's oh, he's hardy. thriving. Yeah, he's doing better than, better than most. He's planning his uh, book tour for his memoirs, which are coming out soon, so we'll have to have him as a guest. <laughs> um, well, today's episode, um, I actually recorded two weeks ago, so you don't have to worry about you know, not social distancing, but um, my guest is an incredible uh, figure in the food world here in LA. Her name is Bricia Lopez, and she's one of the co-owners of Gelagetza, which is this wonderful Oaxacan restaurant in Koreatown that Craig and I went to all the time when we first moved to LA. And I'd heard about it because Jonathan Gold had written about it, and they're famous for their black mole. Uh, but Bricia has- for a wonderful atmosphere too. Just yeah. families from all over the place. I remember there were marimba players there. Oh yeah. We were there. It was just full of people, which is now like an anomaly to think about a restaurant full of people. Uh, what a weird time. Let's just acknowledge yeah. what a weird time this is. This is uh, a very weird time. It's surreal feeling. Um, and I was remarking today, we were walking the dog uh, LA is out outside. It's beautiful. Like the the pollution is lifted a little bit because there's no cars around. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. You're always trying to look for silver linings in something like this. So part of me is going like, hmm, maybe we'll reverse climate change as a result wow. of being quarantined. I mean, I don't know if we'll be around to enjoy it, but you know, the climate will be nice. I'm just kidding. But you know, it's been interesting too in terms of food because obviously, you know, food is something that I've always been passionate about. But suddenly, like this passion that I've been devoting so much of my life to has become sort of essential. And I've just been cooking and cooking and cooking. And if you're not following me on Instagram, you should follow me at Amateur Gourmet because you'll see, I mean, lunches, breakfasts, dinners. It's pretty great. Craig, it's is, pretty Craig great. is pretty spoiled. But I'm it's, reaping the benefits. But, you know, it's, it's actually kind of like a good, it's been sort of a good lesson in like the importance of taking the time to cook because, you know, what else are you going to be doing in in your crammed in apartment for weeks, months, and leftovers and repurposing things? I love what you've been doing with the chicken. Uh, oh, yeah, you, you, we will have a roast chicken, and then you'll use the chicken leftovers. And you made that the fennel tomato chicken. Oh yeah, well, this is a good advice. If you haven't been following me, I took a chicken on the first day and I roasted it with root vegetables and potatoes. So we had those potatoes and root vegetables for a couple of days, and you can make a soup with those. So. You've got that. And on the first night when I roasted the chicken, I just, we just ate the dark meat, which is a good way to start. And then I saved the breast meat. And then on the second night with the breast meat, I shredded it. And then I made like a tomato sauce with, um, you know, fennel and onions and garlic. And then I stirred the breast meat into that. And I served that on polenta. But then not only did I do that, but on the third night, I took the bones from the chicken and I made stock by just throwing the carcass in a pot with a carrot, onion, celery, and some bay leaves, and I boiled that, and now we have chicken stock. So it's it's pretty good to like get to do that. And, and then kind of didn't stuff. you do a chicken Caesar uh, based off another chicken? Oh, maybe recently? I did. Yeah, probably. And then um, chicken is very all purpose. And the other thing I did that I haven't done in a long time is I made bread, which yeah. you know now I think you know I went to the store. By the way, that's the other really bleak thing right now is that grocery stores. As much as the food chain, food supply is going to be okay. It's just to go there now. It's like. Sh Empty well, now, shelf. to be fair, this was 
I think things change every day. And yeah. this was about six days ago, the last time you actually went. That's and true. it was in the height of everyone being like, we got to stock up. So yeah. me, I, I, they're not, I don't want to panic anybody because no, everybody no, knows at this nobody point. is saying there's not a food, there's not a food shortage. No, there's not a food shortage. There's definitely a toilet paper shortage. Um, it was so funny because my mom was like, <laughs> is I don't, but is there really a, yeah, try to get some toilet paper. I challenge you get some because you won't find any. And it was funny because my mom was like harping on me last week. It was only a week ago to get toilet paper. And I was like, mom, what are you talking about? It's going to be fine. But you know, we, we really couldn't find it. So she sent me some toilet paper. So thanks mom. Uh, but, you know, I was going to say, though, in terms of the psychology of all this and food and lunch, I mean, this is lunch therapy. I do think the kindest thing you could do for yourself right now is to make yourself some good food, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or take this opportunity to, uh, you know, throw throw something together. Today we had toasted bagels, mm-hmm. um, smoked trout, which I am just like, it's my new favorite thing to eat. And what's great about smoked trout, if you find it in the store, is it keeps for it keeps, months. Yeah. So you can get a lot of it. So we had smoked trout, cream cheese, you pickled some onions. And that's my number one tip. I know that sounds silly, like in the times of a crisis, but if you have an onion and you have some cider vinegar, just take some cider vinegar, pour it in a bowl, stir in a little sugar, like a tablespoon of sugar, a big pinch of salt, and then pour more, like a cup of water. So maybe equal parts of water and cider vinegar. And then slice an onion, a red onion, put it in there and keep it in the fridge. And you'll have pickled onions to put on salads, put on sandwiches, put on bagels, beans. You can pickle that. You can pickle that. Yeah. Have that's, you seen that Portlandia? Oh, uh, is that from Portlandia? Yeah. But, you know, I think those little pleasures matter in a time like this. I mean, you want to be able to... You know, it's not, I mean, as much as it's about survival, it's also about mental health, you know, and making sure you're not going too crazy. If you watched on my Instagram stories last night, Craig had a little bit of a crazy moment uh, singing along to a chorus line. Oh my God, I felt the music flowing through me. He threw it, you know, he, he, what song were you lip syncing to? Goodbye 12, Hello 12, Hello 13. Oh yeah. It was a showstopper of the, of the entire show. You were lip syncing for your life. I really was. No, I, I was feeling punchy last night. I, I won't lie. But also, you know, you're cooped up. You got to move, baby. We get out to walk the dog. And yeah. I went out on a little hike the other day. I kept six feet away from people. Uh, you're supposed to go outside. I just read the yeah, New York no, Times was yeah, saying you should outside. be outside. Just, just stay six feet away from everybody. I think it's seven feet away from everybody. Well, but you're, I mean, what's funny is like your sister sent me a cartoon, which was really funny, which is like, you know, the government says you have to stay inside for a month and it was like extroverts were like looking horrified and well, then- it, was a, it was a still from the movie frozen oh frozen it was the two sisters and the still was one of them looking happy and one of them looking terrified and under the happy one it said uh introverts and on the second on the am i describing this am i just yeah um and so it was like introverts um are looking really happy to be indoors for the next month and the extroverts are looking horrified. very unhappy so were you are you finding it as an extrovert extra hard to be indoors? No, it, it's so it's so like we all have our marching orders. I mean, it's just there's just no it, it's not like you're questioning it. And uh, I read this somewhere. It's like talk about a cure for FOMO, mm-hmm. <laughs> which everyone knows what FOMO is, right? Fear of missing out. And you experience that a lot. Sometimes. Sometimes I like to I like to be out and about sometimes. But um, there's literally nothing going on. Right. So we're all where we should be, and that's uh, how it should be. It's probably how it should be all the time. So that's a very Zen Buddhist way of thinking about life. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm feeling 
like weirdly people are coming together. People are connecting, whether it's over Zoom or or face chat or just calling people or texting or keeping in touch. I mean, Instagram stories. I'm 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 watching a ton of movies and I'm kind of making a list of all the ones I'm seeing and, and sending them follow on Instagram him at stories. CSJ two one four on Instagram. You can see his movie reviews of what he's been watching. He made me Adam made me watch Cats last night. And actually, we should say that one of the movies that's available right now is your movie, The Skeleton Twins, with Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig, is now on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. I think it might be on Hulu, too. Yeah. And there's a scene in it that Amazon Prime is a promo thing. They, they It's a lip sync scene. And they um, uh, like did a little promo for it. And it kind of went viral. People liked yeah. it. Yeah. On that's a great scene i think i was Twitter. there i wasn't there that day on the set but if you guys look when you watch the skeleton twins there's a scene in a bookstore and craig very generously featured my cookbook secrets of the best chefs on the table in the bookstore so keep your eyes open for that but in all honesty everyone i really hope you're doing okay and if you have any cooking questions or you want to know about like you know how to maximize your ingredients feel free to reach out to me on on instagram at amateur gourmet um, or you can email me at amateurgourmet at gmail.com. I'm happy to help you out. Um, well, uh, today's episode of Lunch Therapy really is, this is one of my favorite ones I've done because Bricia has an amazing story about her family coming here from Oaxaca and living six to a room in an apartment and, and going from that to running one of the most beloved restaurants um, in LA. And I should also say that she's the author of a wonderful book called Oaxaca, uh, which is all about Oaxacan cuisine. And um, it's called uh, Oaxaca, Home Cooking from the Heart of Mexico. And she co-wrote that with Javier Cabral. But the other thing I wanted to tell you is that she wanted me to let you know, and this is something that all restaurants are struggling right now, you know, with everyone being forced to stay home, that they have a store, Galagatza has a store called ilovemole.com, and they're selling their um, mole and their chocolate paste and their Michelada cocktail mix. So when you're done listening to this interview, check out ilovemole.com. All right, well, without further ado, here is my interview with Bricia Lopez. We'll just dive in. But yeah, I used to um, uh, ask people what they had for lunch on Twitter and stuff, and then oh, like, sort of psychoanalyze it. them. Uh -huh. like, well, anyway, Bricia, it was so nice to meet you. So nice to meet you, too. Are Thanks. you going to psychoanalyze my lunch today? I am. Have you ever had your lunch psychoanalyzed before? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I don't even know what psychoanalyzing means, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, that's a good question. I mean, it's like sort of to explore. Uh, I mean, psychoanalysis in and of itself uh -huh. is to sort of explore your unconscious mind okay, and like dig it. up all the things. Got it. Okay. But with lunch therapy, I'm trying to use food uh -huh. as a way to understand you as a person. Sounds good. Which seems perfect for you. Okay. So I was doing my research before you came over. Uh -huh. And, you're, I and mean, what did you find? I, I found lots of great stuff. But <laughs> you're the first Oaxacan cookbook author to be published. Is that yes, right? Yes, it's very true. That's so cool. So your book is native, called? Native. Native Oaxacan. Yes. Native Oaxacan. Yes. And I pronounced it correctly. Oaxacan, period, I think. Yes. Oaxaca. Yes. Oaxaca. Okay. Yeah. And so can you tell us a little bit for people who don't know your story? Yeah. I mean, you grew up. Did you grow up there or you grew up here? It's, you, I moved to LA when I was 10 years old Okay. and I've been living in Los Angeles ever since I'm 35 now. So, okay. you know, me saying that I, like I grew up and I used to say that a lot. And mm. then I realized, wait a minute, I don't think that's actually like factual. That's interesting. I, I grew up in New York, but then we moved to Florida when I was 11. So when people ask me where I'm from, I'm always like, I'm from New York, but really. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm from Oaxaca. I mean, I, I, I spend my childhood there. I have mm -hmm. great vivid memories. I went to school there up until fourth grade. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, 
didn't know how to speak English or didn't know any other culture or language or anything but Oaxaca until I was 10. Okay. Um, and then I moved all over LA from being 10 years old to now. I lived all over Los Angeles. So I would say half Oaxaca, half LA. And so when your parents came here, so they founded the restaurant Gualaguetza, mm-hmm. yes. which now you and your brother took Gelaguetza. over. Gelaguetza. Yes, I Gelaguetza. knew I was going to mispronounce something. It's fine. Okay. It's totally cool. Totally Gelaguetza. Cool. Gelaguetza. Which, Gelaguetza. What does it mean? Gelaguetza, it's, um, it has three separate meanings. It's a huge word and it's it, it has a really deep meaning, but in essence, Galagetza is a festival that occurs in July in Oaxaca. It's the biggest cultural festival in all of Mexico, um, the last two Mondays of July. Okay. Uh, and it's called the Galagetza Festival, and it takes place in the Galagetza Auditorium. And it really is when all of the different uh, uh, pueblitos, like little areas of Oaxaca, come to the city mm-hmm. and perform for the world uh, through their music, through their dance, through their food. And it's a four-hour celebration of culture and food okay uh and but it's a week-long celebration in oaxaca so there are um calendas where these beautiful sort of parades i would say um through the city it's just a beautiful time to be in oaxaca a lot of people um i would say if you're not from there experience it at least once okay i personally don't go during that season just because it's a lot of people. <laughs> right. It's like going to New Orleans and Mardi Gras. Correct. Or yeah. Correct. But it's a great experience, you know? What does the word uh, literally translate to? I mean, is there a literal translation for oh, the Oh, so word? then, yeah. So that was, that was my second. So the actual translation means reciprocity, to share, to receive. Okay. One cannot live without the other. Um, and it's also a custom, like a tradition in town. So mm-hmm. the Gela Getza is... Um, it's a tradition of giving and receiving and bartering in a sense. So if you and I lived in the same town uh, and you were having a party, there's a lot of celebrations that happen around food in Oaxaca. Um, so let's say that, I don't know, someone in your family was getting married or was having quinceañera or a baptism or someone passed away uh, and you were hosting people, you know, I would give, you know, three sacks of beans and two sacks of rice and like four chickens. Right. And then you would have your galaguetza book and you would write like Brisa gave me this. And then. um, Was it Brisa? Did I mispronounce your name? Did you mispronounce my name? Did I say Brisa? I get that all the time. Uh, Brisa, I've Brisa. given up correcting people. <laughs> I've given up correcting my names since I was like five years old. No, no, I so want to know. I wanted to know the right way to say it. I forgot Brisa, to ask yeah, Brisa. Brisa, okay. Brisa. Um, and so, and then if I was then, you know, a few years later, a few months later, celebrating something myself, mm-hmm. then, you know, I would be like, hey, where's my galagetza? Like, you would give that. Not back, but something. Ah, so it's sort of like a wedding gift or something, like, like the way people Kinda. are like keeping tabs. Like I mean, it's not keeping tabs, but it's more of a, you know, one cannot live without the other. You know, uh-huh. Com- it's more about community building. It's sure. not about like, you owe me this, where's my shit, bitch? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's not like that. So you inherited, I mean, it's it's really interesting. So, so you inherited this um, cultural heritage, I mean, this history of, of Oaxacan culture but also like this restaurant that has this name that refers to that Mm -hmm. and you're sort of the bridge between that older culture that your parents came from and this newer culture correct Uh, we have a lot to psychoanalyze here okay go for it i want to make sure that before we get to lunch though (laughs) like so you in your day-to-day life you are co-running the restaurant Mm -hmm. 
And I should say I'm a huge fan of the restaurant. Oh, thank by you the, so and much. It's, the mole there is thank unbelievable. You. Thank you. I brought you a jar of our mole uh, <laughs> paste so you can make it at home. Thank you. I mean, I should say as a professional lunch therapist, I'm not normally, um, I'm not supposed to be bribed, but. <laughs> oh, okay. Got it. Well, it's a present. <laughs> I'm not going to go it's softer like on you. I think when you are from Oaxaca, it's mm. really difficult to go to someone's house mm-hmm. and like not bring no, something. No, I loved it. It was so nice. It's, it's so weird. Yeah. It's like. You go to someone's home, like it's part of your tradition. I don't know. It's no, just yeah, part it was, of my it was DNA. Lovely. Well, it actually makes sense based on what you just said about Gelagata, the <laughs> yeah. reciprocity. I actually might have some citrus for you oh, before thank you leave. You. Yeah, yes, okay. yes, I would love that. Um, but so, do you? Are you at the restaurant every day? Is that basically where your base um, of operations is? So right now, um, I'm in this stage in my life, uh, my career, where I am not. I'm not in the restaurant every single day. I'm not cooking. I am not, um, you know, in the in the in the everyday grind. A lot of restaurateurs, you know, we find ourselves in in the first, you know, few years of the business. Mm-hmm. When we took over, 100, percent I was there all the time. Right. Um. Right now, I have a family. I have a, I have a five year old son. Mm-hmm. I have another child on the way. Oh, congratulations! Um. Thank you. Uh. We have three businesses that we run. Okay. So in the restaurant, I am there during the week. Uh, usually I'm going to say office hours. Mm-hmm. I do have another office, um, in East LA. Okay. Uh, so it, uh, I kind of go back and forth, but for the most part, I spend most of my time in the restaurant. And you also, so you're an, you're a cookbook author. I am. And you also have some mezcal bars. Is that right? So I was part of, uh, the team that launched a mezcal and tequila bar in Vegas inside Park MGM, right? Um, And it's been incredible. It was an incredible journey. It's people in Vegas love it. Um, and it was one of my favorite projects to work on. That's so cool. But so I'm not involved in day-to-day operations there either. Gotcha. I just want to make sure I cover all our bases. Yes, I am not making into- cocktails every day. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I was going to say, like, I'm, I'm curious from your point of view, it feels like Oaxacan food and mezcal, like that there's sort of a resurgence or there's a, there's a lot of interest in it now in yes. a way that feels very new, maybe in terms of the broader culture. You know what's so weird? I've been hearing that since like 10 years ago. Okay. So I have no idea. I I. I do know that being in Vegas was something that probably was not even feasible seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody were to say, uh, you know, I'm going to open a Miscalber in Vegas, they'd be like, yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> right. Um, I think that I, when I, we've been selling Miscal at the restaurant since we opened. So okay. we've, you know, I was, I don't remember a time in my life where Miscal wasn't part of it. I always right. ask when people tell me, how did you first learn about mezcal? And I mm-hmm. say, I was just born into it. I don't, <laughs> right. it's, it's almost as you, you went to uh, a musician's house and you spoke to their children and be like, so when did you first, you know, learn about music? <laughs> right. and it's not like forever. It's so, just in your life. Yeah. Yes. At every single a family member, my dad, my grandpa, my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, they all are mezcal makers. Really? Yep. Yeah, that's not very uncommon if you're from Oaxaca, though. It's okay. not, it's not, I'm not like one of a kind when it comes to that. But when we came to LA, my dad was always, always mezcal first because that's how he grew up, how mm-hmm. he grew up. Like his dad made mezcal, his grandpa made mezcal. So he was really big on promoting it and talking about it. And mm-hmm. I just kind of inherit that love and passion. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we started a little, uh, we opened up a, we didn't open up a bar, but we actually made a bar at the restaurant. And, you know, I was the first probably that really 
emphasize uh, mezcal uh, first bar approach. Okay. Um, in LA, this is a long time ago. Um, and then because of that, I think a lot of people started pegging that mezcal sort of thing to me. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that came up when I Googled yeah, you. Yeah, okay. but, then, but, but, you know, uh, but from, from there until today, there have been plenty of people who are, you know, doing great mezcal programs, that have great mezcal collections. Um, at this point in my life, I, I think I'm not really worried about, you know, having the biggest mezcal collection in Los Angeles mm-hmm. at all. In Vegas, we do have the biggest agave collection because it's Vegas. It's such a different market. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Los Angeles, though, I think right now I'm a little bit more, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit more focused on figuring out which brands should be in my shelf as opposed to, I remember when I started, I would take anything. Like, oh, I see. Like anyone that would make mezcal, I'd be like, yes, come bring. I would so help people. So now you people. curate it and you have Yeah, I would, I would help a lot of people actually it really connect them with importers and distributors and, you know, really making sure that their stuff gets over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got to a point where a lot of people were coming to me and, you know, just telling me the same story. Uh-huh. It, it, it really is the same story all the time. <laughs> um, and I just kind of got a little sick of it and like, you know, it's a different, it's different now than it used to be. Um, but for, but back to where you were saying, Every every time we talk about mezcal, someone tells me there seems to be a whole new resurgence, right? And people who like mezcal, I'm like, I've been listening to that since like <laughs> t- like ten years ago. It's like every single day someone yeah. says the same thing. And well, just from my point of view, as someone who didn't grow up, you know, uh-huh. in Oaxaca, like just in terms of my consciousness of it, I just see it now at restaurants and I see it. On well, the- I think today, I th- I think what happens now is that if you are a new restaurant mm-hmm. that is launching with a cocktail program, right. a decent cocktail program, you cannot launch without, at the very least, one mezcal mm-hmm. cocktail. I would say two. Right. You know? Yeah, you see it all over. And now. I think today, if you speak to about, I would say, 85% of bartenders, mm-hmm. they would prefer mezcal over any spirit. Really? And in bars, yes. I mean, and, unless you speak to someone who's really into maybe hardcore whiskey and bourbon, but mm-hmm. I think that, if you speak to, if we take a hundred, it would take 10 bartenders in LA. I would, eight of them would be like, oh my God, yes. Mezcal over anything. So I think that really has pushed the knowledge of mezcal to the consumer. I should have brought some in here so we could really have a good therapy session. I can't drink. Oh, yeah, you're pregnant. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I know well, that sucks. The time has come um, to find out what you had for lunch today okay what i had for lunch so you know i have been what i had for lunch today i've been craving all week mm-hmm. um and when i say all week i mean like the end of last week work day and then yesterday okay and the day before okay um actually i think i was craving it all last week and somehow reason i didn't have it um but i had a yellow mole empanada with chicken and then a chile de agua on the side, like um, with lime salt, with lime and salt. That sounds yes. delicious. This is the first lunch therapy session where I'm like jealous, deeply <laughs> jealous of my patient. Okay, so a yellow mole empanada. Chicken. With chicken. A chicken yellow mole empanada. Chicken yellow mole. And this is at Gallagher's. This is at Gallagher's. I mean, that's where I have lunch pretty much every okay. weekday. Yeah. And then the, um, and then the, it was a drink, right? No, no, no. A chile, it's a... 
on the side, um, it was uh, so you've been talking about it in my mouth is watering. I know, already. mine too. Um, yeah. I don't even know what it is, but a, I'm chile, a, yeah, a chile de agua is this fresh chili that we bring from Oaxaca okay. and we roast it and then we take the skin off. Um so it's sort of like a raw chili on the side and mm-hmm. I just put salt and lemon on next to it. Just sort of like to add a, a little raw bit of citrus. Chili? I mean it's a fresh raw chili, but yeah. you put it over the stove, oh, open so fire. Okay. Oh, Kind of like I mean, it, the skin blisters, so it, you peel the skin off, mm-hmm. so then you eat it. You know, is it very spicy? It it is spicy. Okay, it's, it's not habanero spicy. I would say it's somewhere in between a jalapeno and a serrano. Oh, really? And so you just eat it? It's the the skin is a lot more. It's softer. Uh-huh. It has a consistency. It looks very much similar to an Anaheim pepper. Okay. Um, it looks very similar to like a hatch, but it doesn't have the flavor of either of them. Um, it has the flavor of maybe a, uh, a smokier version of somewhere in between a jalapeno and a serrano. Wow. So are you cutting little pieces of it and eating it with the uh, empanada? Um, or you- no, it's a whole, it's a whole chile. Uh-huh. Um, and then I just kind of grab the fork and I just sort of start taking it like little by little. Uh huh slicing it off piece by piece it's the size of an anaheim so I see. okay yeah. wow this is a fascinating lunch so yeah. i guess my first question to you is how when you eat something like that is it nostalgic for you does it bring up memories for you when you have when i have that so that that is like the dish that i that, like the yellow mole for example is not mm-hmm. one of these dishes that i think are so under a little bit underappreciated in, in, in like in a menu like I have a huge menu, but mm-hmm. everyone always when they think about mole, it goes to black, red, color. It, it, no one really pays that much attention to the yellow or I've the only green. Ha- I've only had the black mole. Yeah, yeah. see, um, and every time I have it. I'm like, oh my God, like, why don't I have this more? Like, oh, okay. Please, Breezy, I put it in your mind. You should have this at least once a week. What goes into a yellow mole? So a yellow mole is very, very different than like a red or, excuse me, a red or a black or a colorito. It's a lot more, it's a lot more stewy. Okay. So the, our, number one, our empanadas are very different mm-hmm. than what you would think probably an empanada. I think that most of the time I say empanadas, assuming people know what an empanada is, but I just realized that our empanada in Oaxaca is not what an empanada is in a typical sense. Oh, okay. How so? So an empanada that we have is kind of like a quesadilla. Okay. It's not baked, number one. So people think of empanadas, I think their mind goes to like an Argentinian empanada. Mm -hmm. Like a pastry. Um, Like Like, a pastry, puffed, baked. Right. That is what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. Um, Ours is basically made out of a corn tortilla, so it's fresh masa. We make our masa from scratch. Um, we lay it on the griddle, on the comal. Um, it's cooked on one side. We turn it around. We then put chicken. We then put the yellow mole. We put a lot of parsley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we close it. We 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 fold it over. Okay. So it kind of mimics the... the, the the shape of a quesadilla, mm-hmm. and then we close the edges with so since, since the masa is semi cooked. Okay, we we flip it over and then we close the edges off with our fingers. I'm coming there right now comes, to eat this. Yeah. <laughs> this so it, then it kind of resembles. It's the same technique as when you close a dumpling. Mm-hmm. You know how you kind of push yeah. it through. You press down. You yeah. press it down, um, and then it cooks one side. You turn it around and you just leave it in the comal until it gets nice and crispy, mm-hmm. and the tortilla is fully cooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and inside is really really hot. Okay. 
So it's almost, I mean, it's technically, I guess you would call it a quesadilla in some way because there's a tortilla with stuff inside, but there's yeah. no cheese. Okay. Or maybe a, I don't know, steamed taco, like a like a dumpling masa taco. I have no, it's like a massive, but it's, our empanadas are pretty big. Um, I would say they're probably like 12 inches, maybe okay. 14 inches long. Mm-hmm. I order a smaller version of it. Probably, mine was probably like, 10 inches. Do you have a today. picture of it that you'll share later? I do have a okay, picture so of it. Okay, so when people look at this podcast, they can right. see it. Right. I took a, you know, it's so funny. I took a picture of it closed and yeah. I took a picture of it opened. Oh, okay. So maybe. Because we'll... then I realized, well, people need to know what's inside. Oh, okay. So it just looks like a quesadilla. But I was wondering, so like. In but does it bring my, does it bring memories? Yeah, yeah. Question, what are the right? memories? Um, yeah. I think the memory that it brings to me a lot is that yellow mole was one of those moles that my mom would cook the most. So the moles that my mom would cook the most would be amarillo, estofado, and sometimes the green, the verde. Okay. Um, because those are, I mean, those are way easier to make. Those are just like a few ingredients. You blend them, you cook them, you put the chicken, done. Did it's she make so, them with um, like a mortar and pasta? Like, like what's it called? Mojete? A molcajete. A so, molcajete. Yeah. And so molcajetes are basically just to grind spices. Right. Um, she uses, she, my mom uses molcajetes every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, the, obviously it has cumin and different spices and uh, pepper, corns, allspice. And those, she always grinds them. Mm-hmm. But, um, She's like the idea of like mole. I think it's been a little bit too romanticized. The fact that people think like, oh my God, they're these women when like they're metates every single day and they're grinding away and it takes days. And is that not oh true? Oh my God. No, it's not, it's not true at all. In fact, most women in Mexico and Oaxaca that make uh, mole. I mean, I mean, a metate, which is like an, 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 an ancient molcajete. I just sort of artif- artifacts that are kind of. Okay, you know. are they using blenders or like? Well, of course they're using. I uh, mean, and, or they make. Are they using molinos? You know, they go to the local molino uh-huh. on their town. I mean, you're grinding, pound, like pounds and pounds of chiles. Like you would be there for. <laughs> For months. Oh, I once tried to make pesto in my mortar and pestle because that's how they do it in Italy. And it's right. sort of like leaf by leaf. Right, right. And that's and like forever. It. Right, right. Okay. So <laughs> I'm so glad that you brought this up because okay. I think that I, I realize that a lot of people, like when they think about Italian food, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they think about these incredible nonas that can make pesto from a pesto. And it's like, oh my God, this is so amazing and incredible. <laughs> and like, oh my God, right? And they still do it. And in Oaxaca, yeah, people have been doing that forever too. Right. But no one really gives that sort of reverence to mm-hmm. these abuelitas the way they do Italian nonas, right? I like, think it's starting to shift a little though because I feel like Oaxaca comes I mean, up so much. maybe. Yeah. I mean, I hope I, I hope so. Um, <laughs> but if you think about like, no one really makes like, like a salsa, like people, like in Oaxaca, a, me, a petate is something, a metate, sorry, is there something completely different? A metate is, is it's something that it's literally two rocks mm-hmm. um, and they are, Really, I mean, this is like maybe 300-year-old metates, right? A molcajete, though, like that lives in someone's home and they use it every single day. Okay. That's still used. Gotcha. Uh, the metates, though, were used to grind all the chiles and spices for the chocolate, for the mole. And yes, there are women that still know how to use them. Mm-hmm. But why would you do that when you have your local molino? Right. Um, and what's a molino? A molino is um, basically a storefront that has... 
like anywhere from four to even 12 store stone grind uh, stone grinders oh, okay. electric stone grinders oh, wet, I see. wet so stone grinders that's cool so that's okay. where they go so for example my mom yeah um she grabs and also the matatas were used to make masa uh-huh. before so my mom every day like cooks her corn actually she puts her corn the night before the next morning um she cooks it and then she leaves it overnight the next morning she goes she takes whatever she made she cooked she takes it to her the molino that's about two blocks from her house um she gets to the guy the guy passes it through the molino she kneels down um she collects the masa and she walks home and makes tortillas that's amazing it's incredible it's like that's the way it is done oaxaca now i think that if you're talking about my great grandma right like there weren't any molinos back then. And That's yes, she was on her knees grinding the corn mm-hmm. and she was making her masa. I see. So that was sort right. of the older generation. Right. Yeah. So when you make mole, that really is how you make it. Right. Um, the chiles get roasted, they get, um, and they get ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and when people think about this idea of mole taking like days to make, it usually takes days when you're making mole for 500 people. Right. Because you're roasting so many, so many chiles and you're so many spices. But the yellow mole that you had today, right. what, 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 what was inside that? What, what goes in a okay. yellow mole? So in the yellow mole, we, the, we have yerba santa, which is a beautiful green herb. Uh-huh. Um, chiles, chile guajillo is what we use. Okay. Um, and uh, and then it just has a little bit of masa to make it thicker. That's okay. sort of how we make the consistency of the thickness. Mm-hmm. Um, chicken broth, and you just sort of cook that over uh, with regular spices. Um, Is it yellow because of the broth? Or? It's yellow because of the chiles. It's yellow yeah. because of the chiles, but it's not really yellow. It's almost like a bright orange. Okay. And um, the guajillo. Yes, from okay. the Wahio. So I want to ask you, I mean, I, you know, this, it's fascinating. This is like a kind of a tricky situation because mm-hmm. I feel like you're so knowledgeable about this cuisine. And yet I want to know more about you. Okay. Like, I want to know about your life because I feel like you're such an interesting person. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I guess one of the questions I have is like, what was it like for you when you came to America at the beginning? And you were, what you was it like for me? 10 years old, you said? I was 10. So you got here from Oaxaca and did, did you, were you nervous about making friends? Was it scary? Was it exciting? Was it? Oh, I was very excited. Okay. I I always wanted to live in in LA. Okay. I um I grew up in Oaxaca watching a lot of Saved by the Bell <laughs> and Full House. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, okay. uh, I mean those are shows that are you know international. I mean you speak to any little girl that you know. We were watching novelas and Zach Morris, right? right. If you marry the two of like a dramatic novella and the storylines that go behind what you're putting these children to watch, which is crazy. My sister and I have had whole conversations about that. <laughs> and then you kind of juxtapose that with a Zach Morris and like school and mm-hmm. the idea of having a locker was just like, oh my God, I, am I going to have a locker? I, really? remember, I mean, I didn't have a locker in fifth grade, but I remember when I went to middle school and uh-huh. I got my locker. I thought like I had, I don't know, just like hit the jackpot. Like my life was just the best. But how much did uh, the reality of going to school here? Well, check compare? this out. Yeah. No, wait, check this out. So it's it's such a weird like, th- so my sister and I used to play pretend that we were sisters mm-hmm. and that we spoke English and that we lived in Los Angeles and that we knew Zach Morris and like they were our friends like that was like or how we used to play make believe obviously Sarah the Bell was in Spanish so I wasn't it was dubbed I wasn't watching it in English I didn't know how to speak English um and then when we moved to LA my dad we lived in sort of mid-city 
our restaurant was always in Koreatown. But my dad one day was at the restaurant and this lady showed up. And my mom, my dad had mentioned, oh, my children are moving to LA. Um, and I need to figure out school situation. He was just, you know, talking to one of the customers. And she said, oh, my gosh, you need to send them to the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pacific Palisades is a charter school. And they're looking for Latino children because, mm. you know, they're looking for diversity. Okay. And they're looking to, um, you know, increase their numbers in Latino kids. And I'm a very involved parent. And they have this ESL programs. And they need to fill them up. And mm-hmm. they have a quota to meet. Um, and my dad said, great. Like, and she said, you just come to this meeting. And my dad drove and was like, holy shit, this is far. <laughs> like, okay. This is really, yeah. really far. That is far. You're talking about Pacific Palisades. That's just, I don't, I mean, today I would, I, I, me personally would not make the drive for my son. Like, I love him <laughs> to death, but like, I yeah. would not do that. No, I don't think I would do that for anyone. <laughs> yeah. The, the traffic um, alone. I mean. So my dad drove to Palisades, uh, went to a meeting and then enrolled us. And the lady said that the only bad, bad thing is that the bus stop, the bus stops don't include Koreatown. They only include certain areas. And, you know, is this one of the best schools in L.A.? But um, you're going to have to drive your kids every morning and pick them up because there's no buses that, mm. you know, pass through your neighborhood. Um, she lived in Eagle Rock. Okay. Um, in that time. Um, and I think the bus stopped in South Central Eagle Rock. I forgot what other neighborhood, but not where we lived. Mm-hmm. So... And then, you know, later on the years, when you, because I watched every single Save by the Bell episode, even the college years, even the movie. Okay. The movie shot at the high school that I went to. Really? Okay. Yeah. And it's so funny, when we opened Mama Rabbit, which is the Miscalabra that I was involved in in Vegas, uh, Mario Lopez was the uh, person who was like the celebrity who was invited to the opening. Did you tell him how? No, I didn't tell him all no? this. I didn't, I, didn't tell, I didn't go and tell him my whole life story. I was like, it's 360. I'm meant to be here. I'm following the path that he's God pretty, has set forth for me. He's been pretty famous for a while. I mean, he's. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, AC's later. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's really, I, I think, you know, like little things like that always allow me to just tell myself, okay, I'm kind of like in the right path. Like, this is where I'm meant to be like little like little right. little things like that well one of the questions that maybe makes me think of is your parents coming here and then your dad driving you every day and yeah. did, do you feel a duty towards your parents I mean what is your relationship like with your parents knowing the sacrifices they made and knowing yeah. what they did for you yeah that- I mean I think that, that I mean that definitely is the reason why I do what I do mm-hmm. uh 100% my dad moved to LA in a year before we did when i say we i'm in my mom my siblings and myself what year was it so i moved in 94 so he moved in 93 Mm -hmm. um i think so something like that uh and you know i saw him work day in day out i mean i grew up in a household where you were not even allowed to get sick because if you were sick that meant like like you were lazy and mm. you get up and you go to work no matter what, you know, really? we, every single day, every weekend. Um, I, d- I don't do sports. We didn't do any extracurricular activities. Mm. Uh, we didn't do any travel whatsoever. I mean, it was all revolving around the restaurant and trying to survive. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were all crammed in, uh, in a room of a one bedroom apartment uh, you know, it was it was a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. You were crammed into one room. Well, when we moved, 
we moved in with my aunt mm-hmm. who had two a two bedroom apartment, so we lived in one bedroom of her apartment. How many of you we were one there? Bathroom six. Six and then of it was you in her one and her son. bedroom. Happens more often than you think. So how did you, I mean, how old were you when that? You were 10? 10. So my you, sister was 13. Yeah. My brother was seven. My, uh, our youngest sister was two. And when that, I mean, now that you're a parent and you look back on that, I mean, is it impossible for you to even imagine doing that with your kids? I mean, like, how do you, you see know, it's, that? It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of stupid to think that, you know, now I, you know, have a beautiful home. I love it. I'm right. very blessed. You know, my husband and I have created this, you know, great life for ourselves. <laughs> and we were just having a discussion about, you know, we're having a second kid and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, well, we have to build more in the house and like, you know, what we have to do to like make it livable. So right. more people. Okay. So like a family of four can live in this three bedroom home, <laughs> yes. a three bedroom, a B three bedroom, three bathroom, right. you know, and it's like, and it's really stupid to think that, like those are the things that I like. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. when a, a family of six was living in a bedroom, perfectly happy. Like uh-huh. I never felt that I was that I was crammed. I never felt I had less than. I never felt that. Um, you know, I never, I was never crying to my mom telling her, oh my God, that my life sucks. That's really interesting to me because it's, it kind of shows that like you can be the richest person in the world, but if you don't have a good family connection or love for the people you're, I mean, you you may as well be poor. I mean, it's, it's, it's it's all relative. Yes. I mean, the best years, you know, were when we lived in, you know, when we were all living together and, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, what we do is that we think that with more, mm-hmm. we're going to be more filled, like as if like adding more to ourselves somehow is going to make it better, whether it's buying things or getting a bigger house or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I think if you just, you're just making the whole bigger and deeper mm-hmm. as opposed to like filling what you already have with what you have. Wow. That's a, that's so, a good philosophy. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is your next book, I think. Oh I mean, my gosh. No, <laughs> no that's but, very, uh, it's very um, psychologically healthy. I mean, that's such a good way to think about life. Yes. And we think, you know, and, and it, I mean, it obviously took a, a long time for, for me to kind of, I guess, have these realizations but you know my my like my 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 parents came from absolutely nothing they had so much mm-hmm. and then you know in 28 2008 2000 i don't know when was it when the collapse Mark, happened yeah, like market crash <laughs> when the last time the market crashed yeah um, exactly you know my dad lost started losing business after the other after the other after the other um started by closing one restaurant two three lost his home lost his car mm-hmm. Like almost lost this one. It, it was just like bad after another, after another, after another. And then, um, you know, what are you really left with at the end when everything is taking away? So mm-hmm. I lived through that. And I think because I saw that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't take things so seriously. I mean, obviously I am very driven. I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, but I do know that. You know, nothing really is guaranteed in life. What was it like for you when you went from being crammed in a room mm-hmm. to starting to feel some success? Like when you're, you know, when the restaurant started to become more successful yeah. and, you know, your family became more up, upwardly mobile. And here also you, you being in this fancy school and probably seeing other kids with 
you know, nice cars. I mean, did you start to get a taste for that? Or what was that like? No, I think that, you know, much through element middle school, you know, we were a very hardworking family, even through high school. And I don't think it wasn't until I got to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just progression all the kids make. I don't know what it's like today, especially being a girl. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the pressure is more as you get younger just because you're more aware of everything but mm-hmm. i think for me it didn't really like that awareness of competition of like having to you know like look at that person's wearing you know these sort of jeans and right. this sort of stuff and you know like i didn't have many friends also just because i couldn't really like, the idea of going to a play date or like hey can you stop by my house after school or like my parents never were never involved in school so it's not like parents got along with parents mm-hmm. um because they were again they were always working and they will come pick us up like around 4 35 in the after school program and then we would leave like so did you i feel, didn't have a community around my school you know um but did you feel lonely in school no no i i i always just thought that it was just temporary my life was not my school wasn't my life my school was my life was a restaurant like like my my life wasn't really around these people and i remember i even when girls would you know be crying over something i'd be like you know this is only temporary i would always tell these two girls like you don't know these people are gonna matter in your life in the future like they're (laughs) not gonna be around right so why would you care Uh uh-huh and a few years ago, like three years ago, this girl came up to me and was like, oh, we went to high school together. And, <laughs> and I, I was like, oh, that's right. Yes, I remember you. And she said, I remember you told me that. And like, it always stuck with me. I'm like, I told you that. <laughs> and I started remembering, oh, that's right. Because for me, I think high school is just temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I remember that one day when my dad was doing better. My dad was doing better, I think, when I was... In 11th grade. Okay. That's when he started to do a little bit better when he had a really nice car, mm-hmm. uh, within a nice house. But, you know, uh, I don't know how, how old are you when you were in 11th grade? 16? I think so. Yeah. 16 or 17. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's sort of when girls start being girls. Uh-huh. Um, and then I remember that my dad dropped me off in the front mm-hmm. and he had a really nice Mercedes um, and then all of a sudden, this one guy who's who was in my class, who was one of the popular kids, came to me and was like, who's that? Is that your dad? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, my God, that's your dad's car? And I'm like, yeah. And then he told his friends that my dad had that car. And then everybody wanted to be my friend. Really? That yeah. It just happened that quickly? Pretty. I mean, that's how it happens when you're in high school, though, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Like, you know, like, it's not how school. I don't know. I don't know what school is like nowadays. No, but I, I think that's how it was in high school. Like, Right. Um, and I think, you know, I think now it's more about, like, I guess, I think, like, look at that lady has, you know, there's kids in high school that have, like, over 100,000 people on Instagram. I you know, know? That, that's the new <laughs> fancy car. Yeah. It's like, if you've got a lot, a lot of followers, you're yeah. good. Well, I'm curious, um, when you were talking about your parents' philosophy of parenting in terms of, like, not being able to get sick and, like, you have to work and you have yeah. to give now that you're a parent, do you think you'll carry on that idea to your children? Or do you, how do you think you'll I have approach? no idea what I will be like when my child gets older. I know now. I know I'm involved in his school as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I, uh, you know, I make a conscious decision of him going to a great school. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, my husband and I want the best for him when it terms of education. Right. It's a it's a balance, obviously, because you want him to be. I want we want him to be exposed to 
the world and diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, you know, live in a great neighborhood and be safe and you know right. um, ideals and. When it comes to children education in Los Angeles, it's such a huge topic. I mean, we can have a whole sure. uh, discussion that on its own. Well, for you though, I think what's what I'm thinking about is the um, the need for survival. Like when you got here with your family, it was like you had oh, to right. you had to work because it's like this. We got to make this restaurant work because we just yeah. got here and we need the money. And we have to, you know. And then everything got bigger and and, and you guys right. became more profitable. And so now that you're a little bit more secure and you have children mm-hmm. i guess is it, do you think that you'll be able to like shake off those feelings of like i gotta keep going gotta keep you know well i mean i think that my sister uh, my sister has three kids uh, my sister and myself and, and a lot of my girlfriends that i have today who grew up the same way that i did mm-hmm. we kind of always have this conversation of how do we instill in our children that drive mm-hmm. uh, because i think the reason why we're so resilient is because we uh, grew up as an immigrant immigrant kids i mean i not even I'm not even first second generation I'm like zero generation right. like I myself am an immigrant so like I grew up that way I grew up just not having anything and understanding what it took to have something mm-hmm. so for me today I think my biggest concern is for him to understand that things just don't happen mm-hmm. which is difficult because like I'll catch him be like, well, can you just order this on Amazon? Right. He's five. <laughs> um, and he'll be like, oh, can you order this? You know? And it's like, like, Oh, Alexa is going to do this. Right. So I think it's, it's, I think aside from that idea is also the integration of things that just the world in general mm-hmm. moving in a different way of Amazon Alexa. I mean, also my, you know, my husband, and I had a whole conversation because my husband would love buying him things every weekend, like mm-hmm. going to target together. But he grew up the same way I did. So it's, you know, you you want to be able to give them these things. But right. also now he's older. We can't do that because mm-hmm. he's a little, he he knows more. He is more aware of things. And we go to Oaxaca a lot. Mm-hmm. So he understands that's, a, you know, like how people, I just, I think for me, it's just about giving him experiences, hopefully having him in a school that teaches those sort of values. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, I think most of all, just him being kind and nice and understanding the privilege that he has living in this country, period, living in Los Angeles, having a family, being healthy. I think just your story, like seeing you in action and knowing what you do will be inspiration enough for him, hopefully. Well, I'm curious. um, So, I mean, there's so many directions to go, but I do want to weave back in food a little bit mm-hmm. into all of this because obviously this yeah. is a food podcast yes. but all of this has been fascinating everyone's like what <laughs> <laughs> but i wanted to know when you got to america yes did you carl's jr all the way yeah i was about to say did you were you interested carl's jr in big American boy uh-huh. big, big oh my god big boy buffet was my jam I had french <laughs> toast for the first time and I, you loved it all i had a caesar salad for the first time <laughs> i freaking love caesar salads all those caesar salads are actually mexican mm-hmm. but somehow all right oh no no it wasn't caesar salad it was a, so <laughs> Carl's Jr. had these box salads with ranch dressing, and I used to put ranch dressing, croutons, uh, limes, and salt. And I used to freaking love these the the, the French toast sticks from the breakfast. Uh-huh. I mean, we used to stop by Carl's Jr. breakfast and then head to school. Um, really, uh, we you know going going to my well, there was when I lived in Oaxaca, mm-hmm. there was only one McDonald's and it had just opened. It, it was a year old when we moved out, and it was such a it was a fancy place to go to it wasn't what we think of mcdonald's when you think of mcdonald's is like oh my god like 
I don't think my child's ever had McDonald's. Okay. No, I lie. He has. Yeah. Um, every kid has to have McDonald's well, at some not, point. Like, not because of me. Because <laughs> okay. of somebody else. But uh, okay. uh, my sister's first birthday mm-hmm. was celebrated in McDonald's. I see. And my little Happy Meal box, mm-hmm. I saved it. And I put it in my bedroom. And I, it was like a shrine. <laughs> like that was what McDonald's was to us. So when I moved here and my dad took us to McDonald's, like I thought that we had made it. Like, yes, this is this is what I wanted. Like, and I can get tech and have McDonald's. Like it makes me think of the save by the bell thing too, that like American culture and yes, things that were sort yeah, of like just yeah. everyday American things seemed Are really you special. Me? Yeah. It was all about little boys with blue eyes and blonde hair. Like, <laughs> yeah, I wanted my own Zach Morris too. <laughs> so like, you know, I, I think I think for me when it comes to food, I mean, it was Carl's Jr. and Big Boys, French toast. I love French toast. But did you think of the food that you grew up with? Like, did you have perspective when you got here that you had come from this incredible food culture and that the food your parents... I think that I didn't... So my love, like, when you grew up in Oaxaca, food for you is just like everything. Mm -hmm. But you don't know it until you leave. Right. Because you're so used to great food Mm -hmm. that you don't know what bad food is until you leave Oaxaca. But what was the bad food that you experienced? So the thing, well, it's not like the thing. It, I'm in a different position because I had a Oaxacan restaurant, so mm-hmm. I kept having my great food. Right. But for example, I remember the first time like we went somewhere, but even like bad Mexican food, like I loved it because I didn't have that in Oaxaca. Like I remember the first time I had a burrito mm-hmm. from Madelitas off of Western, and I was like, "What is this?" Like I didn't know what this was. Like I had, I didn't even have flour tortillas until I came to America. Oh, interesting! In Oaxaca, all we have is corn. Mm-hmm. And northern Mexico, you have uh, flour. My my husband grew up eating flour. I didn't. So like I like all those things, and even El Torito. Mm-hmm. You know, people. I know people like hate El Torito. It's like, oh my god, is it worse? <laughs> but I remember, like we as a family, like we would we would go because it was different. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't like great, and right. you know, we knew it wasn't good, but like. It was the sort of Mexican food that we never got to eat. And you had the constant of Oaxacan food at the restaurant. So you yeah, it's not going away. But right. were, there, were there ingredients or dishes that you couldn't make here or things that you only could get there? Or No. It, everything was here? No, because we, again, I grew up in a very, I guess, privileged situation to where we would get stuff shipped from us from Oaxaca all the time. Mm-hmm. So if we were craving something or we were doing specials at the restaurant or something was happening... Mm-hmm. That would get shipped over here. So right. I, we always had access to Oaxacan food, Oaxacan ingredients all the time. I was going to ask you, what was it like? Because you were 10 when you got here and you talked about being in the restaurant a lot. But what, what's it like being a kid growing up in a restaurant? I mean, what, was it fun? Was it um, stressful? Was it? What? Yes and no. I mean, I, I, what, what sucked about it was when, you know, you would get in trouble at home mm-hmm. and then your dad, my dad would yell at me in front of people. Like mm. that really sucked because then everybody would know and everybody was <laughs> in your business. Um, you would always be working. I would always be doing my homework there. Uh, Did you work in the restaurant too though? Like as a kid? Like were you like yeah, I think like from, from like 10 to 15, from 10 to 15, it was mostly... Cleaning tables, um, serving like aguas frescas in the back. Uh, you know, I think my dad always, I, I don't think my dad saw us as children. I think mm-hmm. my dad saw us as grown up kids. 
who had responsibilities, mm-hmm. except for the one who was two, obviously. <laughs> um, but my brother was a busboy since he was eight years old. So, like, really? we were always sort of cleaning and busing tables. And then when I turned 15, um, that's 16, 17, like, 15, 16, that's when I started getting cashier duties and mm-hmm. I was able to be a waitress and I was, gotcha. you know, like more of a, like, cause you're pretty much grown in my father's eyes mm-hmm. by the time you're 15. But did you see things or encounter like drunk people? I mean, like, were you like in, dealing with like just sort of adult things in All a way the time, that- I mean, people making out in the, in the, in the, in the walk-in fridge, really? people cheating on their spouses. <laughs> you would see all that uh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. Right. All of a sudden, like you'd find someone here, someone there, people, you know, it, it was, yeah, I mean, it's restaurant life. And yeah, mm-hmm. you, you, that stuff, it's the same through the years, all, you know, but you just happen to be there. You, you grew up, I guess, really fast because you look at them, but you don't, I remember when we were, when I was in middle school, uh, we used to go to Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. my mom, myself, and another, and another girl who used to work with us, we used to pack up this little car drive to Santa Barbara and I guess nowadays you would call it a we used to do a pop-up mm-hmm. back then it wasn't a call a pop-up we would just um set up shop in the backyard of this woman's house um Saturday Friday nights and all day Saturday and Sunday mornings I think or no wait Saturday all day Saturdays and Sunday mornings and then Sundays we would drive back that's what we would do mm-hmm. we would drive out Saturday morning and drive back Sunday night uh, and uh, people would come, we would put up tables, we would cook, and, I, you know, I would be making empanadas and tortillas, and my mom was like, you were just working. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman that would go with us, the girl who would help us, she was uh, a little chulita from 18th Street. <laughs> and she, and then on the on the drive to, to Santa Barbara, she, her name was Heidi, she would tell me all the stories about her cholo boyfriends and how they would write her from jail. And she would send me, she would show me letters that they would send her. Uh-huh. I would see her do cocaine. <laughs> okay. Uh, but she was always like very like protective of me and always telling me what I shouldn't be doing. Like mm-hmm. I remember the first time she showed me cocaine, she's like, you should never like do this. And she showed me like, she would tell me all the things that people that would die and go to jail. So she like really like, I mean, I've never done drugs in my life and Mm -hmm. I think it's because of her because she like really instilled so much fear in me. How old were you when she did that? Middle school, seventh grade. I don't know how old you are in seventh grade. So she instilled so much fear in me Mm -hmm. that like, I was just thinking like, and my mom would always tell me like, you don't want to end up like Heidi, right? With her like boyfriends in jail and you know, this and that. And she'd be like, you don't want to end up like me. Look at me. Like, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Well, that's the thing about like growing up. I want to do drugs. Yeah. I mean, because you know, some parents like try to protect their kids too much. And it's like, sometimes it's good to get exposed to that stuff because you kind of see it and you learn. You know, yeah. Or... But I mean, she really scared me <laughs> and to like not do, I mean, to, I've never done drugs. Right. Yeah, because of her. Um, I was going to ask you because we didn't talk about this, but you you talked about cooking in the backyard. But do you cook at home a lot? I cook at home often, mm-hmm. not a lot, a lot. Okay. But I definitely cook on the weekends for my family, for my son. My and son what, loves to eat. My husband loves to eat. What kind of food do you make at home? <sighs> it varies. You know, um, I, I subscribe to the New York Times, like mm-hmm. the cooking, you know. So sure. Sam Sifton, I get his oh. newsletter. I guess his, I get his newsletters, and we're like, oh, that looks good. <laughs> we like, had Melissa Clark on the oh, podcast. Yeah. yeah, she's great. Yeah, so some of her stuff, you know, uh-huh. whatever, whatever you see, you know, like I feel like this weekend would be cool to roast a chicken, and like let's see what kind of person. Huh. So things like I get, you know, it's 
It's fun to do, you know. Uh, do you put like Oaxacan spins on like French dishes, or like do you bring the ingredients from um, Oaxacan cuisine into I other? I don't cultures? know. I would say that if I'm gonna have Mexican food, like I'll have Mexican food. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm gonna have, you know, if I'm gonna have like a traditional, you know, an Italian pasta, like I'm gonna go all Italian. Like I'm not gonna try to add like. Oaxaca and Chile there just for because I'm from there from Oaxaca you know what I mean but um, I think again I'm in a different position because not only it's not because I don't want to just I get that all the time from Mm -hmm. a restaurant I see like people would tell me like well you must make your own tortillas at home and it's like I have a molino in my restaurant and I have like the best masa. So you don't need to do that at home because like, it's like it's not exciting to you because you do that all day. I mean, all, I mean you know, it's like it, yeah. I, we make our own nixtamal and our own masa every mm-hmm. single day. Yeah. So I, when I'm in Oaxaca with my mom, mm-hmm. 100% we do it all the time. But when I'm in LA yeah. and I my time is very limited, I would much rather go to my chef, mm-hmm. grab masa, mm-hmm. take it home then for me to spend that time, you know, I'd rather be building a puzzle with my son or, you know, going well, something or, you know. Right. Um, but him and I, we he likes to make, um, like, we like to make cookies or we mm-hmm. like to make, you know, French toast or pancakes or things like that. I mean, something that, you know, we, we make quesadillas and yes, but I mean, I, you know, he doesn't, I, I think as he gets older, mm-hmm. I think our recipes will get a little more elaborate mm-hmm. um, and he'll see me. But I think like right now it's it, when I cook at home is, you know, sometimes my husband is and, you know, says like, I'm not going to be, I'm, you know, I'm going to go and, you know, all, you know, vegan for a month. Be like, Great. <laughs> what does your husband do? He sales. He's a general sales manager for radio station. Oh, I think he meant like sales, like in a sailboat. No. Oh, no, he's a, he's a, he's a, a sailor. sailor. Okay. He's a sailor. Yeah, he's a sailor. Well, I was going to say, as you were talking about that, going to the restaurant, I, I, I feel like there's something very beautiful about your life, which is that like you have this rich Oaxacan culture that you come from right. and your family brought it with them to LA and it's been there for you. It's, oh, I mean, you've never been away from it. I mean, no, and, never. And it's, it's always just there. So it's like when you go make Italian food or you go to Carl's Jr. or whatever, it's like, it's Why like, don't go to Carl's Jr. anymore? No, I, never, <laughs> I mean, wherever you go, whatever you do, you always know that, that this will be there. You can come oh, back. I mean, I think that's what's so beautiful about just living in LA. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think my husband and I talk about this all the time. My siblings and I talk about this all the time. I told my mom, I cannot be a pregnant lady living in Oaxaca. Like mm. my cravings are just like, <laughs> I want Mediterranean. So uh-huh. I know exactly where to go. I want Japanese. I know exactly where to go. Mm-hmm. I want Korean food. I know exactly where to go. When I want did you Italian. develop all these? Um, like at what age did you start to really go out and explore and try Always. Japanese? Just from the moment yeah, you got here? Yeah, from the moment we got here. We, I mean, we love food. Like we're yeah. a family. We love, love food. So, mm-hmm. and I grew up in Koreatown. So, you know, it's... Yoshinoya, I think, was like my first mm-hmm. intro to something that was, you know, I guess whatever cuisine that is, whatever Yoshinoya <laughs> yeah. is. Um, but that's where I learned how to use chopsticks for the uh-huh. first time. Um, and I found and learned and tasted soy sauce. And like, I mean, that's just like a universal, like, who doesn't like soy sauce, right? But you were really open. Like, it seems like you came here like with open eyes and an open heart. Like, you really wanted yes, to take I in think, all this yeah, stuff. I think, yeah, yeah. And I remember the first time I had sushi, the first time I had oysters. So, like, you don't have access to these things when you live in Oaxaca. Like, 
Was everyone in your family like that too? Was everyone super eager to try new foods? The only one that wasn't eager to try food there was my brother. Mm -hmm. Um, He would just have like plain burger, no cheese, no nothing. Mm. He would put French fries in his burger, and that's he would just (laughs) he would just live off of plain burgers, French fries, and ketchup. Really, forever. Is he still like that? No, no, no. Now he's but he's still very peculiar about certain things. Mm -hmm. Like he hates like my brother hates salty desserts okay right um or he doesn't like sweet entrees you know i've had Um, some people on this podcast who like that's their therapy issue is like sweet and savory have to be separate right like my 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 brother is like that you know like he's but he's now he now he now he eats everything he tries everything Mm. but you know like my son like my son loves in taifung like he loves he loves dumplings So, so good yeah so like you know um you know we haven't done dumplings together, but we will, you know, mm-hmm. like that's exciting for him. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, we're nearing the end of the podcast. I'm so sad because this, is, this oh. is such a great conversation. Did you feel good Thank about you. being psychoanalyzed? Uh, did I get psychoanalyzed? <laughs> I don't yes. know if you did. I feel like we got to some personal stuff. <laughs> yes, though, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we still have a little time. I just wanted to ask you, though, I mean, in terms of Oaxacan food in Galagetza, uh-huh. like, like, what are the dishes that for people who are listening who've never experienced Oaxacan food? I mean, it mm-hmm. seems like mole would be the number yes. one. Mole, 100%. And would it be black mole that you would have first? Well, we have seven moles. Okay. I always tell people, when you come to my restaurant, here's what I always like to order for someone so they can understand mm-hmm. the difference between Mexican traditional. I wouldn't say traditional. I would say commercially embedded in our brain Mexican food is mm-hmm. and what Oaxacan food okay. is. Okay. And right? what are those dishes? Um, so I would always say have a tamal um, with black mole. So mm-hmm. like it's chicken, black mole, tamal, but the tamal is wrapped in banana leaf, not in corn. So that already is weird because people are like, is this a grape like leaf? <laughs> Do I eat the leaf? Like, no, don't eat the leaf. It just infuses it with flavor. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you get to taste the mole and you get to taste the chicken and you get to see a different in texture and the masa because the masa gets cooked very differently inside a uh, banana leaf than it does in the corn husk. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Um, so that right away will kind of like break that idea of what a mole should taste like and what a tamal should be like. Mm-hmm. Um, I would always tell people have a chile relleno. Mm-hmm. A chicken chile relleno. I've had from it there. Restaurant. It's so good, delicious. Uh, so our chiles, the, the, so the our chile, they're made with chiles de agua from Oaxaca. The chiles uh, that, I, that I told you about earlier okay. on the show, uh, which is I remember uh, that's when the first time I realized I had really bad food here was when I went somewhere and I ordered a chile relleno and I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think I'm like, oh no wonder people don't are afraid to order chile rellenos at my restaurant. Like this is what they grew up on. Like what was the disgusting. bad one like? It was just stuffed with cheese and stuff with it was just stuffed with cheese. It was greasy. It was thick. It was hard to break. It was like <laughs> it, it just it, it, sauce. It was just bad all around. What's in uh, yours? Uh, we have a chicken picadillo, but okay. the picadillo is made with almonds and olives and uh, it has a little bit of actually like a little bit of like chocolate salt. Yeah. Like it's like, it's like sweeter, sweet. yeah, yeah, but not, that. but not really sweet. Mm-hmm. It has raisins and, and then you get a little bit of that like spiciness with it. And it's just, I think oh, it's just, my God, that it's so good. So good. So then that, I think that actually, you know, will break your concept of that and mm-hmm. be like, oh my God, like this is Mexican food. Um, uh, we don't do tacos in my restaurant. I think a lot of people also, like, for a long time, 
even now still come and say like, do you guys have any tacos? And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Um, but we do have one. It's called a taco de barbacoa. Mm-hmm. It's made with a, it's literally one taco, but it's really, really big. Okay. Um, but it's not a burrito. <laughs> uh, but we made, it's made with a handmade tortilla. Mm-hmm. It's a goat stew and it has broth on the side and you eat it almost like you would a, uh, what is that? Um, the dipping sandwich from LA. What is the? Oh, like the French dip. Yes, almost like you you eat it kind of like a French dip. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would kind of break the idea of what our tacos are. Not that Oaxaca is what tacos are like. This at is all, making me like hungrier than any other podcast I've done. So, but like a taco raco, I always <laughs> like and tell people. And then and then I think another signature Oaxacan dish and things that you can only get in Oaxaca is tlayuda, which is what people call a Oaxacan pizza, just because it uh-huh. looks. It's round and it's big. It's these tortillas we actually bring from Oaxaca and mm-hmm. we layer them with like a pork rind paste, a bean paste, cheese, cabbage, and meat. And it's just delicious. What's the best night to come? Because I came on the weekend once and it was so fun. There was like music and people. I mean- well, we have live music every single day. Okay. Monday through Sunday. Uh, I think it's just any any day of the week. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. Uh, weekends, uh, we encourage for you guys to make reservations. We we do get really bu- we we tend to get pretty busy, um, but during the week is great. I think my restaurant is best experience with a large group of people. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, yeah just because you can order a bunch of things and try and totally. you know just sort of share. Um, and yeah, I, I just think like the best way to experience it is is it's with a four or plus i'm coming in this weekend i yes, gotta do come it in. <laughs> um well so every podcast starts with what did you have for lunch but it ends with what are you having for dinner tonight i have absolutely no <laughs> idea what i'm having for dinner tonight um i think i have in the fridge i have rice from yesterday mm-hmm. um i may just do i i have to figure that out i'm actually today after this sh- podcast because of where we are geographically in LA I decided to just go home mm-hmm. early and then pick up my son mm-hmm. um and believe it or not and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the podcast it's gonna sound kind of cheesy uh-huh. but because I just made this recipe this weekend for a shoot I was doing I was thinking of surprising my son with just making churros mm. tonight and just kind of do something fun and exciting the two of us yeah but for dinner dinner I'd probably just have some chicken rice and some broccoli I know it sounds really boring just like leftover chicken and rice yeah but probably have some leftover chicken and rice um and we always have some sort of vegetable I mm-hmm. love roasting vegetables Me that's too. like yeah. our thing um and we'll probably do some sweet peppers broccoli probably is what I have and chicken or like a chicken breast or like probably chicken breast. I don't know what I have in my fridge. I'd have to. Okay. I'm gonna have to go home. But it's sort of like like a plain dinner, like not a lot of sauce yeah, or a no, lot. No, of- no, nothing crazy. Um, again, when it comes to weekdays, mm-hmm. my family tends to stay pretty like, like. You know, if even in even if we have chicken, sometimes we don't even have chicken. Sometimes we just stick to some sort of whether it be noodles, mm-hmm. ramen. Um, rice, pasta, and then like an entire, like, we always have some sort of spinach. We love spinach so much in my house. We love spinach. Raw or cooked? Or- no, raw. <laughs> I know we're weird. We'll just do like spinach, which is 
balsamic olive oil, some sort of, or just olive oil, whatever, like mm -hmm. citrus. Um, I usually love to have like a citrus um, vinegar on in my in my pantry. I have this like, there's this great brand. I forgot the name of it. I think it's like O something, but okay. they have this like really, really great yuzu rice vinegar and this really really great citrus champagne vinegar mm. that i just mix that with olive oil salt and pepper you put it on spinach and i just put and i just toss it with spinach salt and pepper and me and my son will like eat an entire thing of spinach <laughs> really <laughs> and my husband like the three of us and roast whatever vegetables we have you know those youtube videos of people like eating things like there's like a oh. viral thing i feel like you should do one with like your family just eating oh spinach my God. <laughs> i know people are gonna think i'm like what she's talking about all this oahuacan food um <laughs> But for dinner, we we I for nighttime I tend to stand pretty like healthy. Yeah, I was gonna say um, this sounds very healthy. Yeah, we like to I I love to like I love to pack my son's dinner. Mm -hmm. I give him as many vegetables as possible. Mm -hmm. He's five right now, so I think that at some point he's gonna start eating like whatever he wants mm -hmm. and like you know, like and I'm not going to be involved in his decisions of everyday meals. Uh huh. So I think he'll have a whole life to just eat all these things. So for me, the most important thing is to pack it with as much minerals and love for veggies right now. That's great. That's so very when smart. when he gets older. And it's better than sneaking it into like his brownies. No, I don't, or I, yeah. I don't sneak stuff. I don't like that stuff. No, no. He has full-on broccoli. He has full-on Brussels sprouts. Which, he by the way, I think like psychologically that probably like screws up kids' heads if you sneak it in because they can't trust their I parents have, anymore. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't yeah. sneak in things. But yeah. um some of the vegetables that we absolutely love and adore and we have in my pantry all the time and it's I, we never get tired of them. Brussels sprouts, spinach, broccoli, and sweet peppers mm. are kind of like our go-to asparagus, but we haven't done asparagus in a while. I'll probably do some asparagus tonight. Um, well, it sounds like a very healthy, yeah. uh, good dinner. Well, um, <laughs> Just like some rice noodles, probably. Brisa, thank you so much for coming uh, on uh, Lunch Therapy. And oh, this you're was welcome. really, for having and me. And I'm coming into Gelagatsa yes, this anytime, weekend. Anytime. All right, thanks.